calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. All right, Madigan. Hi. How you doing? I'm doing doing really well right now. I feel like we just had a really, like, upbeat, chatty, great conversation. And then we both were like, okay, let's get started. And we're like, oh, gosh, we really got to bring it down a little bit. But it's always lovely to talk with you and catch up with you. Yeah, it's good to have check-ins, you know, and um, be able to catch up, especially since we haven't seen each other IRL in over a year. Um, And I like that we can find moments of joy because life is really heavy right now. Yeah. Again, always. And um, to be quite honest with you, I'm very exhausted and I don't like feeling this way. I'm really to the point where I I have posted some things on my timeline uh, on Instagram and stuff like that. But like, I'm so frustrated and disappointed that we're here again. Mm -hmm. The cycle is the same every fucking time. We just had this conversation when it came to mass shootings. And, you know, we're having the same conversation when it comes to police violence against black people or people of color. Um, And I'm just tired. I'm just tired. After last summer, I think, you know, we all gave our all, you and I, definitely. And I allowed myself, despite the number of times that I said, like, I can't really have a lot of hope for this. I did also say, oh, but this time it does feel different. And it's not. And it's never different. And like, I don't even really want to post about it anymore because I almost feel like when I post or when I say things or when I make Facebook statuses about my own experience, it gives people this like permission to be passive in that they can just come by and like the the post or repost whatever I posted and move about their day and not think about it anymore. And like, why <laughs> you know I think and I that's a really that's very I think negative that's a really but. great point but I also hear a lot of something that you talk about which is emotional labor yeah and I think that that's something that needs to be taken off the shoulders of the people of color in this country I think that 
you know, it was Amari actually that posted something. Our friend Amari posted on Facebook um, something about, you know, if you are a white ally and you're posting something on social media that's getting heat from people, don't rely on your friends who are black or, you know, of another ethnicity to fight that fight for you. It's not their responsibility. You know, you have to step in and also be educated Mm -hmm. enough to back up what you're posting. And I think that's a really, really good point because we can't keep expecting the people who are being hurt to repeatedly re-traumatize themselves and bring Mm -hmm. up emotions in themselves for the sake of trying to get white people to listen. Right. Yeah. I mean, and that's kind of that post funny you bring that post up is really the thing that made me say you know what I think I'm done for a little while and it's because I know exactly she texted me a screenshot of the situation that made her make that post Uh and it was because there is uh, a white woman from back where we're from who posted something that was like an image of a policeman sitting next to a little black girl and he was saying what do you want to be when you grow up and she said alive and so there was a white police man who got on that post and basically gave her shit for it. And Mari stepped in and pushed back and then he pushed back on her. And at the end of the day, the woman who made the post basically backed down from her <gasps> statement and said, you know, this was an insight. I respect you both. Um, you're oh, a good, you're a good gosh. man. You're a good police officer. And this, I shouldn't have, I've posted this. I shouldn't have made uh. generalizations. And meanwhile, Imari has put all of this emotional labor exactly. and energy into defending something. And, sh- you and you're getting worked up. And that's the right. thing is that this isn't like, there's no emotion attached to it. Like you're getting worked up and you're being defensive and having somebody just completely ignore your existence that you're sharing like it's just it feels well and then to to have that's not and then to have your friend who made this post seemingly as an ally then back down from their statement and walk away to the point where she actually deleted she deleted the post um (gasps) yes and so that's who imari was talking to when she made that post and that's what made me think like you know what no because it, it's easy. It gets very easy for people. And I understand it as somebody who has people in my family who have opposing viewpoints, as somebody who is non-confrontational and doesn't want to deal with that. Um, it is hard to want to go up against people, but you have to. If you're brave enough to make the post, you're brave enough to back it up. And you should, yeah. for the sake of your of your friends of color, okay? Like, they don't have yes. the option, to just be performative in their activism. They're living it. So you need to back it up, okay? (laughs) Yeah. um, Yeah, and if you're going... And the other thing to that, too, is if you're going to be posting it, you should have the knowledge and education behind it to be able to defend what you're posting. You know what I mean? So that's the other thing. It's like, obviously, it sounds like this woman was trying to be supportive but wasn't willing to actually put the time into the reasons why... She should post that to be able right. to defend it. You know, it's mm-hmm. just a lot of it is just it's a lot of ignorance, it sounds like. Right. Yeah. I mean, and it and just cruelty, makes me kind of mean. It, it makes me feel like this is everything that I was worried about last summer, which yeah. was that it was all going to be performative because it's easy to hit, reshare, repost, do the popular thing, the thing that's trending on 
on Twitter, you know, yeah. but it's hard to stand by and have the courage of your convictions and back up your shit in real life and back up your friends in real life. Like that's, it's hard to do, but do it but necessary. or don't post about it. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, um, so of course, all of that, that big long rant um, right. is coming out of this situation um, that happened last Sunday in which a 20-year-old man in Minneapolis um, or outside of Minneapolis was killed by a police officer. Uh, it was a 20-year-old man named Dante Wright. So what happened was um, a police officer named Kim Potter was training another officer which yikes um yeah i want to talk about that more in a bit after we get into the timeline yes yeah so she's a veteran police officer she has been on the force for 26 years Uh uh so on sunday afternoon april 11th she pulled over dante for he called his mother and said that he thought he was being pulled over for having um, air fresheners hanging from his rear view. Uh-huh. But they said that they pulled him over for an expired registration tag on his car. Right. They determined during the stop that he had an outstanding warrant, which was a misdemeanor warrant. Um and this was, it's not even important what it was for, but right. there was an unregistered, he had an unregistered firearm. He ran from the police. Uh, and so they, he apparently was supposed to attend Zoom court on April 2nd. Although his lawyer says that he never received the summons, the lawyer didn't. And so he assumes that Dante also did not receive the summons. Right. Um, but because he did not go to Zoom court, he had an outstanding warrant. Right. So there they was, tried to. I, I heard something somewhere, and I, I don't know if this is substantiated, but I did hear somewhere that it was sent to the wrong address, that he just never received the information. I don't know if that's true, though. I read an insider article that said that that was not substantiated, that it was sent to the wrong address, but they do believe that he didn't receive it. So for whatever reason, it either wasn't sent, but the lawyer should have gotten a copy of it. Yeah. And since he didn't, they're assuming that um, that Dante didn't either. So yeah. it's not totally clear, but regardless. I, I was going to say, none of, the day, of, none of the details matter. Like not, nothing that you could possibly do should result in your death at the end of this. You know, yes. so no, no matter what kind of crime you've committed, you precisely. should not be dead at the end of it. So, And here's the thing. So he did attempt to evade arrest yeah. because they tried to take him into custody. He... But also, I should say, when he got pulled over, he called his mom. So, and this is something that people of color do all the time. They call uh-huh. somebody, they turn on their camera, they do something so that there is some kind of like third party evidence Good. available for any given situation. So, that does speak to the fact that he was worried about this situation from the moment he was pulled over. So, they tried to take him into custody. He got back into his car or was, or was attempting Trying to get back to, into his car. Yeah. And um, that is when the officer, Kim Potter, announced that she was going to use her taser on him. But she pulled out a nine millimeter handgun, pointed it at Dante and said, taser, taser, taser before pulling the trigger. And once she pulled the trigger, she said, shit, I just shot him. So he managed after he was shot to get into his car and was able to make it several blocks before crashing into another car. And he did die at the scene. So there's been a lot made of this as there should be. 
that <laughs> immediately they came out and said this was a mistake. She meant yeah, to reach an, for her taser. She's been a police officer for 26 years. And she and the other thing is that so this is now the former chief, I believe, uh, Tim Gannon, is that his yes, name? Yes, yeah, he whatever stepped down f- as well. Mm-hmm. Whatever the fuck his face's name is, I don't even care. Um, he believed that her use was consistent. What did it say? He also stated that that Potter's actions before the shooting were consistent with the department's training on tasers, which I say, I'm sorry, what? Like, uh, up until the moment of shooting, but you're, but she wasn't using the proper training for tasers because she used a gun instead of a taser. So why are you... Like, that statement didn't make any sense to me. Well, and also to me, I'm like, do we need to even tase somebody in a situation like this? Like, is that necessary either? Yeah, I I also feel like that's pretty excessive, but I don't know. I mean, I've seen many cops holding on to... There was a video that I saw earlier, and I think it was also a Minnesota situation. Fuck you, Minnesota. Um of a cop that was, like, holding on to a man inside of his car, and the guy started, like, driving away with the cops still, like, holding on to the car, and that guy, like, made it out alive. It's like there's other uses of force that can be done without well, having to and, use a taser or a gun. And let's let's just say that we're okay with the use of a taser right. in a situation like this. Let's Instead just of say a that. gun, yes. I, like, I will take a taser over a gun. Of course. However, should cops be allowed to have guns if they can just make mistakes no. like this where they accidentally pull the wrong thing out should surgeons like, be able to perform surgery if instead of removing the heart they ins- remove the liver like i just don't like right, to me, any other you job suck at your job you should be fired and not do it and you could face criminal consequences like you know there there are consequences for your actions but unfortunately because of these police unions and these you know peace officers which she was Bill the of rights, president of she was the president of the Minneapolis, I think it was the Minneapolis Police Union. I have it somewhere in my notes, but for like a really long time. I'm like going to say right now, she's she going to get knows, off. She knows this shit. Yeah, and she's only she's getting get charged for second degree manslaughter, which is absolutely, right. re- at the very, 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 very least, she should have been charged with first degree manslaughter. I looked it up. I tried to determine the differences between the two. At the very, very, very least... Yeah, there's, there's, let me tell you, I, there's almost no chance that she's going to actually be convicted of this. I No, and if she does get convicted, it's going to be for a very, very short period of time because of the charge. (gasps) Well, because the maximum for that charge is, it's 10 years. I did look at it. It's 10 years. She won't get 10 years. No, even if she's convicted. It doesn't. Uh, Not in the article I read. But, um, but I don't think she's going to get... (sighs) very much time if any like I I just don't see it but of course because this happened blocks away from where the Derek Chauvin trial is taking place protests erupted immediately in Minneapolis Um, can I mention really quick the very bizarre tie-in to Dante Wright and George Floyd because I think this is the craziest Mm -hmm. saddest coincidence Mm -hmm. Courtney Ross George Floyd's girlfriend was the dean at Thomas Jefferson, or no, what was it? Thomas Edison High School, where Dante went to school. Yeah. It was one of her, he was one of her students. 
Well, yeah, I mean, it just goes to show you like how pervasive this is. And yeah. it, it, it's just, I don't know, it's, it's incredibly sad. And Dante had a two-year-old, Dante Jr. Dante Jr. You know, and listen, I don't want to get into the weeds about this person's past or anything that they may have or may have not done in yeah, their, their life. Their behavior is irrelevant. It's honestly. irrelevant because I see a lot of people pointing to that. Um, as always, there's a lot of people deflecting and pointing to his criminal record or any of these things. Okay, but he's how about 20, this? As a, a freshman, he's a 20 year old. And as a freshman at Thomas Edison High School, he was also voted class clown. No one's talking about that. You know what I mean? Like, right, that's the right. thing is like, we cannot look at a person, especially a victim. Why are we only looking at the negative right. parts of this person's behavior rather than looking at the full picture of this 20-year-old right. who was a father? He was goofy. Mm-hmm. He was the class clown. He's all of these right. other things. And I don't want to say, like, he was a 20-year-old, meaning, like, that that would absolve him from responsibility for his actions. Of course. It, it doesn't. But what I mean by that is that he had a lot of years ahead of him to be whatever he wanted to, to be. be alive. Honestly, right. like it doesn't I cannot hammer it home enough that there's nothing that you can do that would make you deserve to be murdered. There's nothing that you can do. So all of these other arguments are irrelevant to me. Right. Absolutely. I mean, it is not we've come to this place now where for whatever reason we think that police are allowed to be judge, jury, and executioner on the spot of any given situation. And yeah. that's just not how our justice system should be set up. It's right. not do how you, it should work. Do you think that the people who have gotten used to that or who are okay with that, I don't really know how to phrase it, do you think it would just be beca- because of the prevalence of it and how used to seeing it we are that we almost just start to get it ingrained in our heads that like that's what cops do? I think it's a lot of things. I think that there's been a lot of propaganda in our in our media um, where, of course, we see cops as good guys. I mean, for those of us who enjoy crime shows, true crime shows, law and order, like and I, I think we have been conditioned for a long time to think that cops are good guys. Uh-huh. And even when they're acting outside the law, they're acting as vigilantes. They're still usually framed as the protagonists. It's almost like a Robin so, Hood. Right. Who are doing so to protect us. Right. right and right. so even even their slogan, like to protect and serve, I think all of that has mm. really been ingrained in us. And and we have been taught, like, these are the people you call when you're in trouble. These are the people who are going to help you. Right. And it doesn't matter how much anecdotal evidence we have that says otherwise, you know, all of the women who have called police when after they've been raped. Like, it doesn't matter how much evidence we have in our lived experience that tells us that that's actually not true, that they're not always going to protect you. Um, I think it's so ingrained in our psyches or in the psyches of those of us who have had the privilege to be able to see it that way, Yeah, um, who haven't existed in neighborhoods, communities that have for a long time seen law enforcement as a threat to them 
Right. Um, you know, so for the rest of us, I think we've been kind of, I mean, and Sheltered. I had it both ways. I had it both ways because my, my family, my grandparents did not trust the police at all. They never would have called the police um, to come to their neighborhood. But on the other hand, my white family members saw it com- the complete opposite way. Yeah. They would call the cops for well, anything. It's, it's different you lived know? experiences, yes. you know, because... You know, it's it's the privilege. I know if I were to call a cop, the chances of me being killed at the end of it are very, very slim. That is not something that I've ever had to consider in my life if I've wanted to call 911 or call the cops on somebody or myself. But I got to say, I think about it now. Like, I, I've i seen some things that I've thought of as suspicious, different things like that. But I'm like, I'm not going to call the cops on somebody. Like, I, I just don't ever want to be that person that's going to fuck something up that badly. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, I think a lot of communities now are figuring out other resources, other people that they can call in situations yeah. like that. Um, and it's it's unfortunate and it has that to be that's learned. where we're at. It has to be learned. Yeah. Like We talked about this, I think, a couple of weeks ago where the numbers and the resources have to be learned where you have them on hand because like there was, there was an incident recently where there was a man that was obviously unwell who was like knocking on car windows and trying to open car doors and walking in the street. And it was just one of those things like, I don't know what to do for this person. So it has to be taught so that we have that ingrained in us of the resources that we can contact that aren't the police who could potentially hurt this person. Right. Yeah. I mean, that is a very good point because we did talk about that and I still have not done the thing that I said I was going to do, which (laughs) is to look up what those resources are, because especially if you live in a big city, those resources absolutely exist. Right. And you should program them, program them in your phone. Put them on your fridge. Yeah. Under something that you can remember. Um, so that when you are in that situation, you can call someone other than the police. Because uh, let me tell you, there's a large unhoused population right here near where I live. I would never want to call the police no. on any of those people. Um, I feel but the same. at the same time, you want to make sure they're taken care of and you want to make sure that the people around are safe and taken care of as well. Exactly. So you, do, you, you can't do it yourself. You do need assistance. But... I personally would try and find assistance that is not the police. 100%. Um, yeah. Because I don't trust. I don't trust y'all. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I don't even know. We like just very recently because it was getting so discolored. We still have our Black Lives Matter sign on our window. Mm-hmm. But we had, um, I think one of them said, end police brutality. And it was just so like weathered and wilted and like mm-hmm. awful. So we took it down. But before that, whenever there were cops on our street, we always got a lot of stares at our windows. We'd be like, well, ha, ha. I mean, look. <laughs> Suck it. <laughs> maybe stop terrorizing people and stop backing up your fellow officers who do terrorize people because I'm really tired of Oh, hearing. yeah, for me, I'm like, yeah, I'm watching you. I hope you know I'm watching you right now yes, from my window. I'm, I'm tired of hearing not all cops okay because I'm just like I understand exactly what you're trying to say however the system is fucked and if your uncle daddy whoever who works in the police department isn't actively doing everything that he can to To change change the system to hold the people who need to be held accountable held accountable then I'm lumping him in with everybody else okay 100% couldn't agree more yeah, thank you. So um, I do want to say that um, she, Kim Potter, did resign. She resigned on Tuesday. She should have been fucking fired. I'm sorry. Y- yes, I agree. Um, 
and also the chief of police resigned as well. And then she was charged, as you said, with second degree manslaughter. Boo. Um, and there are ongoing protests happening in Minneapolis uh, yeah. still. So, yeah, yeah, it is it is tense in Minneapolis right now. My heart is honestly breaking with everything that is going on there. Um, yeah, it's upsetting. And we're going to talk about another, you know, young boy in a minute. But before we move on to another topic, I wanted to just say for any of our listeners who are actually in Minnesota, you can go to the Brooklyn Center High School at 6500 North Humboldt Avenue in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, and drop off certain items and things like that that they're asking for. And there's actually also a pizza place down the street at 6816 North Humboldt Avenue who have also been accepting donations for Dante Jr. as well as supplies for protesters. Um, And if you're out of state, you can send monetary donations to China and Dante Jr. China is Dante's girlfriend. And you can send donations through Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal, and you could also buy from their Amazon wish list. So I'm going to put all of those details in the show notes, and I'm also going to make them into an Instagram post that'll be with our episode post that we'll put up. So, Okay, thank you. Yeah, I love that a pizza place down the street is like, yeah, we'll take donations too. Yeah, and like getting I stuff mean, for protesters and everything. I think that's fantastic. I, I like to try and focus on on things like that because it's been really hard. Again, I mean, we opened this episode with me kind of talking about how disheartened I am about this whole situation. It's honestly, it's exhausting. I feel very emotionally exhausted. However, I do constantly try to remind myself that I really believe there are more good people than bad people. And there are more people who want to step in in situations like this, um, in crises of any kind, you know, whenever Hurricane Katrina hit, there were all kinds of neighbors helping neighbors and people flying in to help um, in, in situations like that. And I try to remind myself that a lot of those people are out there and like the, the people who own that pizza place, like, they saw something and they were like, you know what? We can do something about exactly. about this and we can help. And um, I encourage people to try and keep that perspective even when it's really, really hard. Yeah. I think uh, finding you don't people... Lose, you don't want to lose your hope or your yeah, compassion. Finding people, even if just on the news through stories that you feel are like-minded, I feel like is always also a good way to make you feel less alone. Because I think in this, when there's so much pain, you know, my mom was talking about... Uh, texting her siblings when the Derek Chauvin trial started. And my mom was very, just very emotional and very upset. And she sent this long text about asking her family to send prayers to George Floyd's family. And just, she was sending this whole thing and she was really just emotional and upset. And her brother was the only one to respond. She has four Mm -hmm. siblings. And And that was even more heartbreaking to her because she's yeah. like, why don't they care? Why can't they even give prayers? Why aren't oh, they hard. responding? You know, and there is... It's hard. And and she just said, she's like, I'm so glad that I can listen to you and Keegan and know that I'm not crazy. I'm not alone, that I have people out there that, like, agree with me on this. You know, I just don't feel like I'm sitting alone in my frustration or anything. You know what well, I mean? And, yeah, and, um, and I also... 
want to say that like never feel like you're the weird one for having compassion and empathy definitely and caring about people because i feel like this world and this country a lot of the times makes you feel like they use terms like social justice warrior snowflake yeah in a derogatory sheep. way yeah and and it's really like i'm not going to apologize for the fact that i believe in social justice that i believe in humanity that i want to help people right for if you being don't a nice feel that person. way yeah then maybe the problem is your problem not my problem exactly so, um i feel bad for you if you if you're so jaded that you're to a place where you can't feel empathy for what someone is going through mm-hmm. regardless what your mom said to to her family regardless of how you feel about the situation, you can say as a human being to another human being, I empathize with what that family is going through because it is horrifying yeah, and terribly sad yeah. and difficult. And like you can say, I can send a prayer to that family regardless and of how you feel. Exactly. And to me, you know, they, <laughs> the people who didn't respond are allegedly the most religious ones in the family. You know what I mean? It's like, isn't that like, if we're going to pull at that thread, isn't that exactly what you're supposed to be there for to give prayers to those who need it? So Christ-like. You know what I mean? Like, that's the thing that I think was so, like, almost shocking to my mom. Like, her oldest sister used to be a nun. Yeah. For God's sake. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's frustrating. And it's, it's sad. Yeah. Um, It's just, it's seeing, it's seeing changes, or I guess not changes, but seeing realities in your loved ones that is upsetting to you, I think, is also something that never goes away for people. As well, of course, being yeah, let I, down. I feel that. I feel that. And, you know, I felt it in my own life. So, yeah, def- I oh yes, yeah, completely understand. Yeah, it's um, it's hard. I do want to talk about this. I know it's on your list as well. Uh-huh. Um, just really quickly, I don't want to linger on it too too long. You or know, else I'm going to start like, crying immediately. This one is hard. I will. I, I didn't watch the video. Don't watch the for, video Keegan. for Dante, and I won't watch the video for this either. Even though it is making its rounds again, I'm just going. I say it every time. I'm going to say it again. Um, don't feel like you have to watch these videos, especially if you are members of these communities, um, because it is traumatizing. To see people who look like you, people who look like your family members, or even people who look like your friends yeah, um, in situations like this. And this one particularly is a child. So yeah, that is triggering I, on so many levels. I got to say, I really believe that if you are a white person, that you do have an obligation to witness some of these things. That's sure. just my opinion. I don't sure. think I'm not going to pressure anybody to do something that they're not comfortable with. But I think that if you are trying to be an ally and you want to understand what's going on, I think that you do have an obligation to not just read about it, but to witness it. Like, I don't know Mm -hmm. why, but to me, I feel like that is something where if I want to, if I want to feel like I'm giving enough to the person, enough respect to the person who lost their life, I feel like I should be able to get through that. But I don't think that... I, I agree with you in saying that people of color should not have to watch someone that resembles their loved ones or themselves have to go through something like that. But I do believe that for me, being someone who wants to be a white ally, I feel like I do have an obligation to watch those videos, to have education and to have more empathy. So I understand that. I, I have watched, that perspective. Yeah, I have watched both of them. But I I will always encourage somebody 
that feels that has a traumatic response to violence to not watch it because and, it, and it, I is, will give, it is hard. I will give a, a specific trigger warning to this one, though, because it is a 13 year old child. Yes. Which um, is I mean, this this stuff is difficult no matter who it is. You know, it's watching somebody die. Yeah. It's not I, I, it's not something that I ever wanted to do. I don't want to ever witness somebody die. No, if I'm not um, watching a Hollywood action movie, I don't want to see death. Right. I don't want to see somebody lose their life. So, um, but I also completely understand what you're saying, Madigan. And I do think that, unfortunately, for some people, um, that's what broke open the civil rights movement was seeing just this brutality. Well, yeah, uh, and that's what helps TV screens and, and the and, Vietnam War. Like, I just think mm-hmm. that if you're if you continue to be sheltered about stuff and don't watch those videos, then you're not going to have the fire and the passion and the understanding to want to make any change. I just think it's important. But again, right. if you're going to be like, if there is like trauma involving violence or anything like that, I'm also not saying that I'm going to force you to watch these things. I'm just of saying, course. in my opinion. I think it's an obligation. Just me. Yeah, I understand. Um, Okay, so in Chicago, in the Little Village neighborhood, um, police basically were in pursuit of a man who was later identified as Ruben Roman. Yeah. Um, So they were running after him, and then at some point, um, they end up coming across 13-year-old Adam Toledo, in the video and he like basically I think he comes out from behind a wooden fence and they tell him to stop and they're yelling at this kid. They're saying, please, please stop, you know, fucking yeah, stop yeah. now. So he he turns around and they say, show me your hands. So uh-huh. he turns to show them his hands, both of which are empty. As, as you can see in the video, I have seen stills. I have not watched the video, like I said. But his hands are empty. They're very clearly empty yes. from what I can see. And the the next second, the officer says, drop it. And then immediately, right after he says it, drop it, doesn't even give... If he had had a weapon, he didn't give him an opportunity to put it down. No. And I've got to say, having watched the video, this happens so fast. So fast. Like, there is, there is yeah. no time for a reaction. It is completely just... I mean, it's, it's only reaction from the officers. You know what I mean? There's no time for Adam to respond in any sort of way. I have, and I'm again, none of I don't know any of this. I've read different articles, one of which speculated that you can see him tossing something behind the fence at some point. So they, I did read that he had a pistol, but that he wasn't like using it and he wasn't like pointing it at anybody it, he was just trying to get rid of it so that he wouldn't get in trouble to have it's kind of what it sounds like so okay i'm not trying to speculate any part of the story i didn't see that in the video that i saw but it was a shaky body cam footage thing so i don't know if that's information that's going to come out but if that is the case it sounds like he it wasn't like he was using it and shooting it well it and, was just like still, on his person in the still i saw um, when his hands his, are up, he has his, nothing. He has nothing in his yes. hands, and his hands are up. So it doesn't yes. really matter. Like even if he, he has had nothing a gun, to drop, right? Even even if he had a gun, listen, which I understand makes it a, a far more volatile situation. If he had a gun in his hands when he put his hands up, he right. didn't. Yes, but even if he had, you can't tell him to drop something 
and then immediately opened fire uh-huh. without giving him the opportunity to drop it because he wasn't pointing that gun. Bare minimum, he wasn't pointing anything at you. Exactly. exactly. And, that, so, and that's the thing is that even if there was a gun involved somewhere in the conversation, it was not involved at the time that the police asked him to raise his hands up. And he's a 13-year-old boy. And, and that's exactly right. You should as not well. immediately like, shoot. And a 13-year-old child. He looks like a child. Yeah. And um, that's what and, I don't understand. And I think that I think that there's race involved in the in the initial police report listing him as 18 to 25. I don't know. Okay. I just think that because I know that historically there tends to be something where men of color are aged a bit. They're aged and they're deemed to be more threatening. Right. Yes. So that was originally on the police report. They said it was a man between the ages probably of 18 to 25. And it was later that they discovered that it was Adam Toledo who was only 13 years old. Yeah, and he doesn't look. He's tall. He looks like a I, I'll baby. I'll say that, but he, his face—he's tall, but he's—he—he he looks like a child. He looks he like an eighth grader. Look, he looks like he an does not look like a man in any way. Yeah. Um, so, so there's that, and then the the guy immediately he knew he fucked up. He walked over and basically said, "Are you okay?" Yeah, and then you he shot starts saying, him. "He starts saying, stay with me, stay with me.'" They start doing chest compressions uh, once they realize that they've lost his heartbeat, and then once they realize that Adam was gone, the officer gets up and just starts pacing. It's just—it's so disgusting. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Yeah, because he knew he fucked up. He, he knew, starts crying. He knew he fucked up. Yeah, he starts crying. I and hope then you later cry on, forever and feel like shit, you asshole. Yeah, you took someone's baby from them. A 13-year-old is a baby. Yeah. Like, seriously. And, like, you, you know, he walked away, and then when he was filing his report later, he basically said that he feared for his life. That yeah, was he what used he, he said. defense of self. Uh, here it is. It says that in the police report, it said that Adam was armed with a semi-automatic pistol that was, quote, displayed, not used. So... They're, they're saying that because there is a moment where Adam starts to run from the cops. So I don't know if people are fabricating that he has tossed something. I don't know if that is, you know, I don't know if that was a falsified police report. I don't know if that's something that actually happened. Um, Even if it happened at 13, I would have run from the cops too. And tossed the gun as I was running. Like if I, if I had in possession for whatever reason he was in possession of a gun, if he was and a cop was coming after me, I'd want to get the fuck rid of that gun too and get out of there. Like, he's he's responding Enough. like a 13-year-old Enough. boy would at the, any scared 13-year-old like, boy would. You know, okay, yeah. This is just what I want to say about this entire situation. This is what I want to say about everything that has happened since the beginning of time, but particularly since we have been doing this segment on this podcast. Um, because basically, since we started this podcast, we have had semi-frequent conversations like this. The cops should not be allowed to have fucking guns at this point. You have shown us time and time again that you are not trained well enough to have one and we need to take your toy away now. That's that's where we're at is because just like you cannot continuously make mistakes that cost people their lives and their loved ones You cannot continuously be allowed to do that and get to hold on to your guns. Like, I'm sorry. I I don't know what else you want us to do at this point. Like, what do you want us to do? Because I agree. 
this isn't acceptable. Like it's it's not acceptable. So we need to make something has to change. And something has to change. And it's not like there aren't other options that would work. There are other countries that run differently that are effective. You know, I just think that there is such I mean we both, you know, have listened to the Behind the Bastards episodes of the history of policing, mm-hmm. and I've been doing a lot of reading about, you know, Minnesota history of policing in particular this week. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, yeah. you know, this is so, this goes so, 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 so far back. Right. That I think that there is a lot like, you know, people don't, you know, from that love the NRA don't want their guns taken away. It's that same thing. There's something so ingrained in American history of how policing looks that I think that that is something that it's the same reason why defund the police scares people. The idea of American cops not having guns for some reason scares Americans more than comforts them in general. And I'm talking white America uh, right. here, but you yeah, know, yeah. Like, and I, I agree. I, and I look, I understand that, but like something's got to give, you can't oh, keep. No, I completely you, agree with you, but right, I'm just saying right. that's good. But I think that because we have this history of believing right. that a cop is a certain way, that it's going to take a lot to convince a large amount of people to agree with that. Unfortunately, I'm all for it. Well, Let's take all the, the guns. Thing. Here's the thing. If you don't want to agree that that's the action that needs to be taken, then what are you willing to bend on? Uh-huh. Because they, if you want them to keep their guns, then something else has to change. They have to get better training. There has to be better psychological exams. There has to be something that prevents this from happening because we cannot continually say, I thought my life was in danger when it wasn't. I thought I okay? had a taser and it was actually a handgun. And hand it gun. wasn't. Like, we can't, yourself, we can't keep doing that. We can't keep having Tamir Rice situations where it's a 12-year-old with a BB gun. Like, or an airsoft gun. Like, we can't, we can't, okay? We like, so something has to change, all right? Because you having whatever 50 hours, it's not 50 hours, but you having a limited number of hours of training and then being given a weapon and power over the everyday civilian is not working, uh-uh. <laughs> okay? Yeah. So something's got to change, man. And I don't know what else we can do. I am tired. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. And you know, know what? And I don't I don't have much trust in Biden. He's still letting he's he just like, what did he do? He like signed something that said that it's OK for the border wall to continue to be built in certain areas. I don't know. He still is letting kids stay in cages. I just fuck you, Biden. I'm mad at Biden right now. Because I can't even be like... We knew we would be. Oh, we knew I knew, we would I be. know, I yeah. know. I'm not surprised. I'm just frustrated that I'm already this mad at him already. You know, it's like, yeah. I want to be able to call on my government to be able to be like, hey, do you see this problem? Let's do something about it. But unfortunately, I still don't really have a whole lot of faith. Well, you know, you, you got shoot him in the leg Biden, which was basically what his platform that he was running on during the campaign was basically like... Why do we got to shoot him where it's going to kill him? Like, can't you just shoot him in the leg? And it's like, how about we shoot them <laughs> nowhere. nowhere? Like, what are you talking nowhere. about? Nowhere. Let's not okay. shoot. I don't like guns. Actually, okay, so this is a little bit of a lighthearted anecdote. I was looking through old home movies of myself the other day, and I never even had, like, Nerf guns growing up. I didn't have a lot of water guns. Like, I didn't like guns. I didn't play with guns. That was not my jam. So I have like a family reunion at my cabin and I'm trying to get this like big water gun to work and I'm like pumping it and I just can't quite get it. And you hear my mom in this Minnesota accent. 
oh yeah, Maddie's just not used to guns. And I just kind of hand it to my grandma like, I can't work the water gun and just walk away. Oh gosh. (laughs) Yeah, Maddie's not used to guns. You good sweetheart. The same is still true today. I have been within feet of a gun. I've never touched one. They scare me. I don't want to touch one ever. I've I've shot guns. Look, I've shot guns and I've had a good time shooting guns, but it's it's just not that for me. That doesn't mean I think everybody should own a gun. No, that doesn't and mean I think everybody should be using a gun. Like, <laughs> well, and I kind of feel the opposite. Like, just because I'm super scared of it, like, I'm not saying that everybody should be scared of it. I just have an extreme yes. fear of guns. I am also a very clumsy person. I am not the sure. most graceful person in the world. I should not be given a gun. I know that. And I hear that you as know? well. Don't give me a gun. Oh, man. Well, listen, we know that this... Sometimes I hesitate to even want to talk about these things. We have to because this is what's in the news right now. I was going to say, it's kind of our job. We have to. That's dominating the news, and we have to talk about it. But I I sometimes don't even want to because I'm just like, what else... How many times can we have the same conversation? I know. that's, That's seriously how it feels to me a lot of the time where I'm just like, how many times are we going to have this exact conversation how many different ways can we express exactly. the same sentiment um and so uh, write in and let us know your thoughts on on this do you do you like it when we have these conversations do you want us do you, does it help you process yeah um for us to be talking about uh, about this we will always of course bring it up totally like, we yeah. have to always bring it up um but just let us know i, I want to hear from you because it, it's such a difficult thing to go through and to also feel like you can't escape from it anywhere. Yeah, and, and I, you shouldn't you shouldn't be escaping from it. You should be like living it and experiencing exactly. it, right? Like, and I think we need to be. But and I think for us as the people who are speaking on it, it does it. It feels repetitive to us, you know. And I and I think that that's what gets frustrating is just uh, constantly having the same conversations and not having any change. And I mentioned that a few weeks ago with talking about mass shootings as well, where, you know, it's just frustrating with, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. having to constantly be telling these stories week after week after week after week and not being able to add anything to the conversation, just having to continually talk about how horrible and awful these things are and, you know, try to find the good, like the people doing good. Right. But it's just it, it really is. It's a very defeating feeling to knowing that every week we're reporting on things that are so similar and so heartbreaking that it's almost hard to put the same emphasis and heart. Well, when, yeah, when you I mean, feel and, it, it, and it's, you know, yeah, it's it's hard to because it just feels like, I mean, <laughs> what can I, I say now I did, that I haven't already said? A million right. And, times. I, and, and it's also, you know, there was also a school shooting this this week. There was two of posted, them, wasn't there? Yes, there were two. There were two. At like the um, same time. Yeah, one in Texas and one in California. Ugh. And I posted on my my wall. It was basically like we we <laughs> sorry to interrupt the interrupting of a police shooting trial with another police shooting with a school shooting. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because it's just like this is America. This is it's is this is constant. It is constant. It is all the time. Um and it's it's exhausting. It's hard. There's if, no other word. Yeah, if you're if you're putting yes. energy into it, it is absolutely heartbreaking and exhausting. That's the thing. 
Yeah. <sighs> Everybody, please. Well, anyway. <laughs> and, and also feel free, you know, I always love hearing your thoughts, your opinions, you expressing yourselves about all of these situations as well. So write into us and let us know your thoughts on us discussing these topics, but also if there's anything that you want to add to the conversation. So it isn't just Keegan and I expressing our opinions. I would be more than happy to share those on the mini episode. Um, so if you would like to write into us, please do so at our email, which is neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com. You can also direct message us and follow us on our Instagram at Angry Neighborhood Feminist. We have a Facebook business and group page. You can go to the group page and chat with the other listeners, post different feminist things that you find online, throw them up there, get some responses to that. Uh, you can also go to our Facebook business page and leave a review there if you haven't. And if you haven't left us a review on Apple Podcasts, we appreciate it so, 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 so much when you do. Uh, and you will be featured on our Instagram for Reviews Day Tuesday. And speaking of reviews, I have to say to you now before I forget, the My Worst Date t-shirt of your horrible review is legitimately the best. I wanna, Thank you so much. I want a mug that says that and I want a review that is as bad and as catchy as that so we can copy it because that is let me tell you gold it is so gold we have gotten two bad reviews semi recently one star reviews which is fine with me it doesn't bother me at all like you know it we're not every podcast is for everybody exactly yeah both both of them were from men of course they were. were were super condescending um one of them they called us shrill, which I was just like, that's the most. I saw um, your story original. posted that. You're like, mom, I made it. <laughs> yes. A man called me shrill. Um, and yeah, this one was basically saying that we were superficial and it was it was junk food for the brain. And so we made merch. Uh, what that is wrong says with that? On that? Exactly. I, that's that's how we feel. Promotional So we were like, tool. put it on a t-shirt. Put it on a t-shirt. Uh, so we're feeling good about it. And so speaking of that, I know we need to wrap this up. But speaking of yeah. that, um, we are working on merch. We're getting that out soon. Um, if you have any recommendations, also feel free to email us about that. We would love to hear from you. Yes, 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 yes. All right, everybody. Well, finally, that is all we have for you today. With all of that being said, we encourage you. To rage on. Bye-bye. Here's a quick question for you. How did you sleep last night? If your battle for a good night's sleep feels relentless, I have the answer. It's a podcast called Sleep Wave with meditations and hypnosis created to help you fall asleep. My relaxation techniques will help you feel calm and ready for sleep with soft music that will help you fall asleep in minutes. Most listeners never hear the end of an episode. So search Sleepwave on your favorite podcast app and find out why over a million people have fallen asleep to my voice. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. 
and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.